please. Heavenly Father, we're about to uh, read your word and hear from you. Um, Your word is the anointed word of God. It brings forth life. It cuts right through to where it needs to. Lord, have your way right now. Hold back the enemy from uh, distracting us and from not listening and paying attention to your word. This word has life for us today. Lord, help us to uh, hear it and then be doers of your word, not just hearers. So, Lord, your will be done this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Verse 5. It came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among all the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Because of the people, 
since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly your servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So, chapter 4 is a continuation of what happened in chapter 3. Let me either remind you or tell you of what took place there. It was a normal thing for the early church to continue to go to the temple. So Peter and John were on their way to pray. It says there was the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there was a certain man who was lame, who sat outside. I don't know whether they carried him there and brought him there, or whether... He was able to walk on crutches, but he was a lame man. He had a congenital disease. means he was lame from birth. So he was never able to walk. And there he was, and that's what lame people did. They went to areas where people would pass by. We have quite a few stories in the scriptures about people who were lame or mangled or some kind of disease, and they asked for alms because they could not work themselves. But they were also rejected. If you know this, they were kept out of the temple. They were kept out of the synagogue. They weren't allowed to pray with the rest of the people. What a horrible state. And this man was there, and he was begging. It said a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they lay there. So I guess he didn't go on his own. He was carried along there each time he was there. He was at the gate of the temple called Beautiful, asking for alms to those who had entered. So he saw Peter and John who were passing by, And he asked them specifically for alms. Would you give me money? Peter and John looked at him. They fixed their eyes on him. He looked at them because he figured he was about to receive money from them. And Peter said, look at us. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Rise up and walk. Wow. That's pretty unique. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and then what took place after that is this lame man from birth, his legs strengthened, he was able to walk 
for the first time in his entire life. We read before that he was over 40 years old. Can you imagine that? His legs straightening, walking. No wonder it says that he was walking and leaping and praising God. You could see him running up and down the stairs of the temple. And then people saw him who knew him, and they said, this is the guy that sits there lame every week who begs for alms. And he's walking like us. Not only walking, he's running around and leaping. This is a verified miracle because the people were rejoicing. This was not some fake thing that took place or someone who went to a healing service. This took place as they were going to the temple. This man never expected that, but God's name was now being raised up and exalted. He who sat begging was now filled with wonderment. Those people were filled with amazement, all of those that were there. Now, as he was healed, he actually held on to Peter and John. He wasn't letting go of these guys. Um, and, and the Spirit of God came upon Peter, and he said, Hey, men of Israel, why are you marveling at this as though it's something I did? This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says, You denied the Holy One, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered, and you denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And actually, you asked for a murderer to be let go instead of Jesus. And you killed the Prince of Life, and God raised him from the dead, of whom we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you now see and know. They knew this guy. Yes, faith which comes through him, which is given to him, this perfect soundness. You now, brethren, I know what you did. You did it in ignorance. He's got a captive audience, Peter, because of this healing, and he's now declaring about God, about what they did, because just fairly recently, they were yelling out, crucify this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and give us Barabbas. And he called them on it. He said, you know, those things God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may, say, may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you. He goes on to say some other things. He talked about what will come to pass. He talked about all the prophets from Samuel who have testified about this, who have predicted that this would happen. And then he said, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away everyone from your iniquities. So that's what happened prior to me reading this Acts chapter 4. This miracle of this lame man who was lame from birth. Not something that we see typical in our or normative in our daily lives, but a great miracle, and Peter took advantage of this to do this. Now, as he was speaking to the people, opposition came. And let me say this. Every advancement of the gospel, there will be corresponding resistance from the enemy. Every advancement of the gospel, there will be opposition. 
whether you see it immediately, whether it's hindered because you're about to preach the gospel, whether there's something going on in the heavenlies with the powers and principalities that the angels are fighting against these demonic forces, there is opposition and there is spiritual warfare. But don't forget the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we'll talk about that. There were persecutions before of people, but that was because they revolted or they rioted. But this is the first persecution against those who are called Christians, against the church. And if you look at it, it says, as they're speaking to the people, what we have here is opposition from not just one faction, but from 11 different categories of people. You have the priests. You have the captain of the temple, who is the second highest in charge. Then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a sect or a party, part of the Sanhedrin. They were the ruling people. These religious people believed in the Pentateuch. One of their issues, though, was that they didn't believe in the resurrection. So that's why when Peter's preaching about the resurrection of the dead, they're first saying, hey, don't you teach about resurrection. We don't believe in that. They also didn't believe in angels or spiritual things. How in the world could they be leading Israel? <laughs> but they were. Them and the Pharisees and others were part of the leaders. Who else were against them? Well, if you look down in verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the next day, they had put him in custody, when the rulers and the elders and the scribes, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas the son-in-law, John, Alexander, all those of the priestly family, all of these, it said, and you can't see it clearly, but they came abruptly as Peter is talking to the people. Now, it's interspersed in here, even though they told them they were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached Jesus the resurrection. They laid hands on him, put him in custody. It does say, however, many of the people believed the words of Peter as he was preaching the gospel. And the number, came to, uh, number of men came to be about 5,000. If you recall, there were 120 in the upper room, and then 3,000 people were added on Pentecost. Now there's 5,000 men. Who knows how many people altogether there were, whether it was 2,000 in addition to the 3,000. All I know is there's 5,000 and then some, people who are now believers in the Christ in what he had done. All right? So Jerusalem is beginning to swell, and those who are in authority say, up, oh, here we go again. These guys were with Jesus, because that's what they marveled about. All right, so, by what power or by what name? What a question. <laughs> what authority have you done this? How have you guys created this miracle? And Peter stands up, and Luke writes, and he says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think he had to say that, but he does. <laughs> Because here was a man who was a coward. And yet when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he clearly received forgiveness from Christ, restored, and now becomes a spokesperson on the Lord's behalf every time the Holy Spirit gives him opportunity. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, addresses them, rulers and elders of the people. If for this day we've done a good thing, you're putting us in custody because a layman was healed? 
I mean, think about that. If that was pre presented to you, wouldn't you say, yeah, right, what a stupid thing we're doing here. But what's so sad about it is they continued on and got more belligerent rather than stepping aside and say, you know, we, we better stop what we're doing. <laughs> we, we need to listen to these guys. But no, they were the rulers of the people. But Peter said, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach of the town of Nazareth. Very specifically, that Jesus. Not some other Joshua. That Joshua. That Jesus. That one who saves. He is the Christ. He's the one who you killed. He's the one you crucified. But God raised him from the dead. Oh, here he goes. <laughs> Resurrection again. And then he quotes the scripture. This is the stone that the builders rejected. You builders rejected this capstone, this cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else other than this Jesus. There's no other name given among men under heaven by which people must be saved or receive salvation. And church, we've got to be careful because we use this terminology. Are you saved? Well, what are we saved from? Well, this salvation is from the Lord. God has given salvation to those who would believe in him by faith. This grace that he's extended to us. It's salvation from the wrath of God that is to come. It's salvation and it's eternal life that he's, he's granted as a result of believing what he accomplished. His taking on the sins of people, dying for those sins, the Lamb of God, the one who was pure, the spotless Lamb who took this upon himself. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ became man, incarnate, took on our sins, they were imputed into him. And you know what? If we believe that, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we repent, if we change our minds about who the Messiah really is and say this is him, he draws us to himself and he gives us everlasting life. That's what salvation is. So he says there's no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Now, these rulers saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they said, these are uneducated, untrained men. Now, they weren't making fun of them. They weren't saying, you didn't go to Southern Seminary, so you can't be a pastor. <laughs> no. What they're saying is, these guys never went to the rabbinic schools we went to. They're not schooled like we are, and yet look at their boldness. Look at how they speak. And they quote scriptures. That sound familiar? That's like us. But the Holy Spirit, the living God, does a thing in an uneducated and untrained person so that we would declare the righteousness of God. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, he makes us speak on his behalf. And we ought to speak as the oracles of God, as though it's God speaking through us. And they said, ah, they realized they had been with Jesus. Ah, we know who that is. He was another guy who wasn't from our rabbinic school. <laughs> and yet, he taught the people with authority that people never saw it. Our, our rulers don't teach like this person. <laughs> Why? Well, he's God. But he also was fully man. 
And this is God's purpose because it said later on when they prayed to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Listen, there's a belief that goes around that says, it's called open theology or open theism, where God doesn't know what he's going to do until man acts. That's a lie. God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the creator of the universe. And he's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the first and the last. (laughs) He knows all things. He knows our destiny. He knows what we're about to enter into. And yet, you know what? No one will snatch us from his hand. He controls all things by his power. And he lives inside of us. (laughs) Yeah, we grieve him. And he's sorrowful over some things we do. But yet he immediately comes and forgives us and we're restored, and we walk in the Spirit again, and we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is God. Because God wants to be exalted and glorified, so therefore he does these things that we know not of. So he saw the boldness, and then they saw the man who was standing. Now just a while ago, what was he doing? He was laying down. (laughs) He couldn't stand. Actually, the word here is stasis. And there's like a play on words here because... Anastasis means resurrection. This guy was resurrected. (laughs) He was. He was lame, and he was brought to life. And here he was, an open rebuke to these people, saying, this is a notable miracle. This is something that really took place. So they had to take these guys off to the side. What gets me is now what they say is that it spreads no further among the people. Let's severely threaten them. How sad. When people hear the gospel and you present the Lord to them so clearly or they see a miracle like this, yet they say, let's threaten them some more so that they wouldn't teach or preach in this name, rather than fall on their face and say, oh God, (laughs) if you've done something like this, forgive me, I'm a jerk. I must be stupid to have rejected this message or not to listen to you, right? How, how sad that is. But that tells you that Satan is so real, he has blinded the mind of unbelievers, especially those who are religious authorities. And what he does is he creates oppression. And this oppression is to those who believe. Now, look at this. They call them back in. And they commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John said, oh, yeah, we need to obey you because you're going to put us out of the synagogue. No, they didn't say that. They said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. We cannot but speak the things in which we have seen and heard. How could we not talk about Jesus? (laughs) He just healed this guy. You think I did that? I did not. And he took the right approach. He didn't come out and say, come to my crusade because I'm a faith healer. No. This just came upon them suddenly. The Spirit of God came upon them. Silver and gold I don't have. What I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And this man who was lame with this congenital disease from birth, now a miracle of healing had been performed. Listen, ultimately, every knee will bow at that name. 
If you read Philippians chapter 2, we'll see that every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. But right now, these people were pushing back against the name of Jesus Christ. But these believers, and actually I haven't even turned the pages of my notes here yet. <laughs> these believers were probably remembering what Jesus had said to them when he was with them. He said, you'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogue. On account of me, Jesus, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry about what you're to say beforehand. Just say whatever's given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake. That's why Peter can write in his first epistle this. Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. This is Peter writing. That when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. And he says this. If you are reproached or insulted or reviled for the name of Christ, blessed are you. <laughs> for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. <laughs> now listen to this. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler, a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter or in this name of Christianity. <laughs> for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It begins with our first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinners appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. That's Peter writing. Peter who understood suffering, now is enduring this suffering. And these kinds of things are happening to him. And as a matter of fact, he writes just before that, but if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, or set him apart, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And he doesn't stop there. He says, with meekness and respect. Saints of God, we have a tendency not to speak to people in humility. We speak like Hannity and Combs are arguing on TV. Serious. That's how people know the church. That's not correct. I understand debates, but even so, I believe that we're left with instructions here. And let, let me read this to you now because Paul said this to Timothy. Listen to this. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, 
correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Listen, we've been given examples. We see people pounding stuff and, and I've sat under men who say that's what we need to do. Listen, I believe that's the wrong approach. I've never seen Jesus act that way. Other than clearing the temple out a couple of times. <laughs> but he could do that because they made his father's house a house of thieves and robbers rather than a house of prayer. And he set the tone and the example for that. But the way we're instructed is to speak in humility. Yes, to speak the truth in love. And I think the key issue here is how we speak relative to civil, what I'll call civil disobedience. These two guys were disobedient to the civil authorities and to those who were in rule of all of that territory because the Romans are on their side. These are the so-called religious leaders of Israel. These people were responsible. It was the state and religion who they were disobeying because they said, listen, you judge, but we can't help but speak about Jesus. So, how do you decide on when to disobey the civil authorities? When do you disobey the religious authorities? I'll tell you when. James Montgomery Boyce, who used to be the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, who's deceased now, but started something called the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals many years ago says this, I must do whatever the state says I must do. Well, then you're making the state your God. Unless the state is as wise and as perfect as God, it's inevitable that the state is going to demand action that's contrary to God's laws. Then, if you're following God, you're going to have to disobey the authorities. Okay? So, is what he says. Whether it's right in the sight of God, you judge. The Lord told us to speak and preach. Now let me say this. First and foremost, someone says to you they're inviting you to preach or they're inviting you to do a convocation or an invocation or to say a blessing or even just, would you say a prayer before the service but don't end it in Jesus' name? Tell them no. Or just do it and say it in Jesus' name anyway. Listen, that's whose name you preach in. That's whose name you say it in. Now, we've got to be a little cautious here because the laws of the land were given to us for a reason. And we've got to respect the authorities that are in place for that. Let me remind us of Romans 13. I know you know this, but let me help us here. Listen, Romans 13 verse 1 says this. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. He raises up, he sits down. He puts people in place. Even if they're the foulest president or king or dictator that the land has ever known. The Lord allowed Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, to reign for 50 
five years. Brutal, cruel, brought his children through the fire, erected idolatrous things. Why did the Lord allow that? Well, you know what? To turn the hearts of the people ultimately to him, to realize how foul and how wrong that is. Our land has turned that way. I'm talking about America. We have gone so far astray from God that you are a voice crying in the wilderness. And that voice should not cease and should never stop. Let me continue to read this out of Romans because don't forget, they lived in Rome. Nero was the emperor. He took them, burned them at the stake. He threw them in the Colosseum. He blamed them. He would accuse them. They had to live under Caesar. When it says don't pay taxes, I teach a men's Bible study on Tuesday nights. There's a guy who I call a conspiracy theorist. Oh, man, he's all over. Brother Joe, we shouldn't pay taxes. Planned Parenthood. And all. I said, you don't pay taxes, you go to jail. Listen, I, I don't pay taxes to support Planned Parenthood or to, or to support abortions or to support anything that's foul like that. I pay because I live in this territory, and that's what they say I have to do. Matter of fact, I was behind on my taxes, and I got hit with interest rates, and I ultimately had to come up with a plan to pay them back. We owe taxes, and we pay taxes. He was telling them then, I'm still waiting for Jesus to send the fish my way to take a coin out of it. <laughs> Listen. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good, and you will have praise from the same. For he, talking about these ministers or these rulers, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they're God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. You know, I hit so many potholes last night, I said, where did my taxes go to this? Don't they fix the roads? But ultimately they will. And that's where those things go. Revenue and stuff help. Municipality and those. But because... So many people are evil and they redirect it the wrong way. That's what happens. It gets misspent or overspent or spent on people who, you know, you can't help that. You ought to do what God says to do. And this is what he's saying to do. Render therefore to all taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, or credit unto whom credit is due. That doesn't end there. Owe no one except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, if there's any other commandment, or are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, Love is the fulfillment of the law. Listen, I live in Boston. And yeah, I'm from here. I was born in Harlem and raised in the Bronx. I'm really from here. 
I still talk that way. When they say, where in the world are you from? When I'm up, because they say, ka, and you know, those kinds of things. <laughs> That's how they talk. And no, it's impossible for me to sit at Fenway Park and root for anybody other than the Yankees. So, But you know, when they killed a person who crossed the line of the abortion clinic, they were wrong. You don't kill the doctors. You don't kill the people who are deceived or who don't know any better. You love them. How do you love them? Well, you share the word with them. Those women who have had abortions, who have done things like all of us, who even have committed adultery, those of us who are murdered, those of us who are clearly once darkness, who have received forgiveness from sins, and God has delivered us, and now we're children of light, have the best message. We have the word of the Lord to deliver these people. And to speak the truth in love is not, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love. And we put these people there, and we make, they'll never come to Christ that way. How dare we? We, we should be so humble and thankful that God has delivered us and has been so merciful. And his mercies are new every morning for those of us that we remember those things. We who were carried about with the same deception. So, when it comes to civil disobedience, Boyce said these things. He says, you know, there are four options when dealing with how to respond. One is what he calls the monastic option. You know what a, a monk is? Going to a monastery? I always have something to say about them. And I better not say it. They belong with the monkeys. Stay in the zoo. Stay behind bars because you are no effect to the world. You go hide away. What are you doing up there? Go on a 70-foot pillar and sit up there, what good is that when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Are they making disciples by being in a hut, in a cave? I don't even think their prayers are being heard. So, there's a monastic approach. Oh, Caesar's in charge. I'm going to run to the mountains, run to the hills. Look at the preppers today who are saving all of their water, bottled water and guns and whatever else the conspiracy theorists. Well, there's a second option called the secular option. This is where, talking about render unto Caesar, who, Caesar and to God who is God's, Caesar alone with the authority of God being denied. So there is this secular option. It pushes God out of the picture. They'll say you could practice your religion privately, but not in the open. That's the secular way of doing things. That's what happened in Russia before the wall came down. You could practice, but you know what? Practice over there. We don't want to know anything about it. There's a third option that he talks about. It's called the cowardly option. Caesar is in the dominant position, and God doesn't exist. Well, clearly that's for cowards. <laughs> it says they recognize the boldness of these men. Well, I didn't get to the prayer at the end yet, but our biblical option is this. God is the dominant position. Romans 13, the state has legitimate authority, but those who hold those positions are responsible to God who has the ultimate authority. 
God has the ultimate authority. So, this is what Peter and John did. They were disobedient, civilly, to the religious people, to the secular people, to those who are in authority. But you know what? Their kingdom is not of this world. Is yours? What kingdom do you belong to? You know, we're supposed to set our mind on things above, not on things in this earth. And someone said to me, ah, you're so earthly minded, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And that was a saying that was said. And I said, that's the way we're supposed to be. The scripture tells us to be heavenly minded. And then we will be earthly good. So that's a misnomer. But you know what? Paul writes in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. You know, I hear people say, well, we have a dual citizenship. Yeah, we've got one here, or some of you have two because you are from other countries and all. But the heaven that our citizenship is is the place that we eagerly await the Savior to return, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they further threaten them. What could they say to them? We'll crucify you just like we crucified the Christ. And you know what they would say? Bring it on. We would glory in that, they'd say. We fear. We, we fear man. That's why the scripture says the fear of man is a snare or a trap. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Why do we fear what man could do to us? When Jesus said, they'll hate you, they'll exclude you, they'll insult you, and they'll reject you, just like they did me. But blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what the scriptures say. So why are we afraid when in fact he holds the key to everything? How do you know that your word in due season will not bring someone to Christ? Or will stop someone from getting the abortion? Because you could say, I can relate to that. I had one myself. But you know what? I understand I was wrong, but God forgives me. Keep the child. Listen, this has to do with euthanasia, has to do with same-sex marriage, has to do with all the moral inequities in the land today. We need to start talking about this from the pulpit in the right sense, in the sense where God says, I've come to give them life and life more abundantly. Not what the secular world says. So, they further threaten them, and here they go, back to their compatriots. And what did they say? We cannot teach nor preach in Jesus' name. Let's just give this up. No, of course they didn't say that. They went back, and they raised their voice to God in one accord. They were always in one accord. They were always in agreement back then. They always were saying, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> they didn't have doctrinal differences back then. They didn't have these sidebar things. Oh, do you speak in tongues? No, I speak in tongues. But that was not it. They said, oh, sovereign Lord, creator of the heavens and earth and the sea and everything that's in it. The focus immediately went on God. They raised their voice to him. And what did they say? They quoted the scripture. We read it. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain against the Lord and against his Christ? It says he laughs when he's in heaven. <laughs> How stupid. The people, they think they're going to get away with this stuff. But the Lord is saddened. You know why? Because he's long-suffering. He desires 
all to come to repentance and no one to be lost, that all would receive his forgiveness. That's his desire. So therefore, he uses those of us who have sinned, who have sinned greatly because the great grace is greater than our great sin. So that's what he extends. Sovereign Lord, you are God, and you know what? Grant us boldness. Give us spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak your word. And you stretch forth your hand to heal. They didn't ask for healing for themselves. They asked for God to do it. What they asked for themselves is to preach the word, to speak it with all boldness and with all confidence. And that's what we're to do, is to come before the throne of grace and ask boldly and find mercy to help in our time of need. Saints of God, every day is our time of need now. More than ever before, it's our time of need. Let us approach that throne of grace because it's the throne. He's the king. He is the sovereign, the blessed and only potentate. (laughs) Civil disobedience or Jesus' obedience? That's the decision. Amen? Let's pray.